Jaron Collins is a former professional basketball player and the current assistant coach with the Golden State Warriors, one of the most dominant teams in modern sports. On a daily basis, Jaron works to get larger-than-life celebrity stars like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry to bring their best to the court, and maybe even share the ball. Suffice it to say, he knows how to build a winning mindset, overcome defeat, and transform a positive attitude into action. We have solid, solid guys from Kevin Durant to Steph Curry to Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, you go down the list that understand the game, they're very humble, and they want to get better. They want to be coached and that I'm trying to do everything I can to help them be as successful as possible on the court. Ivy hosted a salon discussion with Jaron to hear about his time playing with Hall of Famer Shaquille O'Neal and Karl Malone, breaking the best regular season record and winning a championship with the Warriors, and about how competing for the finals applies to success in any endeavor, both on and off the court. Please enjoy our live conversation with Jaron Collins, moderated by Jaron's high school basketball teammate and friend, Danny Karubian. Before we get into the Warriors, I guess, hearkening all the way back to when we were in high school and when you were trying to figure out where to go to college, you know, Jaron was recruited by UCLA, Arizona, all the best programs in the country. I'm just curious, why did you choose Stanford? Uh, good question. Uh, I chose Stanford so I could meet my wife. <laughs> uh, good answer. Yeah, good answer, yes. <laughs> All right, um, I chose Stanford, um, honestly, because my mother grew up here in the Bay Area, in Daly City. Um, family is very important to both my brother and myself. My twin brother is eight minutes older than me. For those of you guys don't, don't know, his name is Jason. Um, our grandmother, who was living in Daly City at the time, told us that there was strength in numbers and that we, wherever we decided to go, uh, that we were going to go together as a package. Uh, Stanford, when you factor in their academics, um, athletics, and social life, there really was no comparison, um, or no equal. Uh, I'm sorry to all the other people that did not go. <laughs> that, I'm sure you guys have uh, great programs as well. But um, uh, Stanford had everything that we were looking for, plus um, a lot of family here in the Bay Area. So the decision was actually very easy for us um, to go to Stanford. Having said that, we still had to go through the application and admissions process. Uh, Stanford and the Ivy schools and Notre Dame, there are only a couple other schools that actually make student athletes go through the actual um, admissions process. Um, for a lot of student athletes, if you qualify with your GPA and your SAT or ACT, that's all it takes. You just sign your name on the National Letter of Intent um, and a couple schools in particular, you actually have to be admitted. And Stanford is one of those schools and feel very fortunate that I was able to get in. Yeah, very cool. Um, so moving forward, um, you were drafted, I think 52nd in the NBA draft. <laughs> Who's uh, counting? Yeah, sure. Uh, by the Utah Jazz. And um, you came into the league, you got to play with Carl Malone and John Stockton who, for the non-basketball fans, are two of the best NBA players of all time. Just, you know, how, how what can you say about that experience and what did you learn from those guys and any, any cool stories from that time in your life? Oh gosh, so many cool stories uh, to talk about. Um, you know, I, I dreamed about playing in the NBA ever since I was a little kid. Um, I was so excited to get drafted, uh, but my journey was a little different than my brother's. My brother was a first round draft, draft pick. He was number 18 overall. And basically the difference between first round and second round means that you have a guaranteed contract when you're first round pick. As a second round pick like myself, I had to make the team. Nothing was guaranteed to me. Um, so when I got drafted, my summer league, uh, my very first summer league, uh, I wasn't good enough. Um, coach Sloan told me, my, my, my coach at the time was a Hall of Fame coach and Jerry Sloan, he told me that I needed to lose weight and I needed to be in the best shape possible just to give myself an opportunity to make the team my rookie year. Um, so what I did after my summer league, my summer league ended in mid-July. Um, I started training the second I got back to Los Angeles and from July to August to when I reported back to camp at the end of September, I had lost 20 pounds, I was wow. at 8% body fat, I was, I was in the best shape of, I've ever been in. And what are and, you right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making transition anymore. <laughs> now as long as my vocal cords work, I'm good. 
run! Yeah, that's, that's all I gotta do. Uh, yeah, hey, hey, easy there, big fella. <laughs> anyway, so um, what, I sh- what I showed them was that I was willing, uh, and my head coach in particular, that I was hungry, that I was willing to listen, that I was willing to learn, um, that I was willing to put the work in. Um, so that got me you know, off to a good step my rookie year with my coaching staff. Um, with my teammates, again, just going back to me just living my dream, I was a ball of energy. You know, as, as a rookie, as someone who um, you know, got to wear, put on an NBA uniform, I dreamed about this for so long. And, you know, you know, we used to play video games together, so you know this for sure, that we used to be Carl Malone, we used to be Chris Webber, Vlade Dibak on our Sega Genesis games and NBA Live, and now all of a sudden these guys are my teammates, these guys are my competitors, and I'm just living out my dream, so I was a ball of energy in that locker room. And I'll remember my very first uh, NBA preseason game, we're in Boise, and uh, we're playing the Sacramento Kings, and they had a really good team. It was Vlade Divac and Chris Weber and Bobby Jackson and Mike Bibby and Doug Christie. Uh, there were a lot, of, a lot of good players that we played against. And my team, uh, Brian Russell, uh, Daniel Marshall, John, uh, John Starks, um, John Stockton, Carl Malone, a lot of great players that I, I, I idolized and, and dreamed about playing with. So I was just so excited and I got, the, I got the uniform on. This is in the locker room before the game. And, you know, as an amateur at Stanford, we had this tradition. We'd go around the locker room and say, get everybody fired up, ready to go out there to play. I'd be like, you ready? Like, you ready? Like, get everybody like, you know, turned up as the kids say. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I go to Daniel Marshall and John Starks and uh, Greg Ostertag, these guys are like laughing at me, like, you know, get away from me, kid. <laughs> I go to like John Stockton, he's like just laughing at me. I, and, I, and I made the mistake of going up to Carl Malone. So I'm standing, Carl's sitting, and I go, Carl, you ready? And he looked me up and down, and he said, I got my fucking uniform on, don't I? That <laughs> <laughs> was one of those situations where I was like, he said he's good, guys, he says he's ready to go. <laughs> Uh, and right then, it was, <laughs> I learned two lessons. <laughs> First, um, when you're a professional, uh, for me as a coach, when I put the suit on, when I was a player, when I put my uniform on, there are no excuses. You're ready to go. Nobody cares about, you know, um, what's going on in your personal life. Nobody cares that you had a rough night or family member's sick, you got a child that's sick. Nobody cares about any of that stuff. When you put your uniform on, you gotta compartmentalize everything in your life and go out and do your job because people spent money to go watch you play and perform and that your performance is what's paramount. Uh, So I learned that lesson really quickly. When you got your uniform on, you're ready to go. Second lesson I learned was perspective. Uh, Carl Malone in his 17th year to play a preseason game in Boise could care too <laughs> less about the game. And uh, I learned about that really quickly, about you know, uh, vets and the hierarchy and the way things work in the NBA. Mm. And never ask a Hall of Famer if he's ready to play a game. <laughs> yeah, we'll all, we'll all remember that lesson. It'll probably come in handy for us. <laughs> um, so what was, who was the best person, the best person you played against in the NBA, in your opinion? Best person I played against, uh, there are two people that come to mind automatically. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, who was probably the most dominant presence in the NBA, 7'1", 340, 330 when I played against him. He was like trying to move the wall, and every once in a while the wall would hit back. Um, (laughs) And uh, so just from a physical standpoint, Playing against Shaquille O'Neal was probably the toughest. Uh, playing against probably one of the most cerebral and skilled and fundamentally sound players I ever played against would be Tim Duncan. Um, there are certain guys that uh, when you're playing basketball, you want to take away their A move, whatever their, their A move is. You want to take that move away. For Tim Duncan, it was the face-up bank shot. Those of you guys who have watched him play, he can make that little bank shot. So he had to step up and take away his bank shot. Then he could go left or right. You had to try to take away this, this counter move. And then the counter to the counter. Um, so a lot of stuff that he did on the block was, was beautiful and uh, really tough to defend. 
And it's a very lonely feeling when they keep calling turn four, which is his play, and you're defending him. It's like, shit. <laughs> Not again. I need some help. So, um, you know, it was one of those situations where playing a Shaquille O'Neal, Tim Duncan, probably two of the best players that I ever had to match up against. Hmm. Um, so given your background and how you, you know, were kind of a late draft pick and earn your way into the league, do you... Do you have a soft spot for underdogs with as a coach? Do you do you think that that experience gives you a different kind of perspective? I, I think so. Uh, in our history with the with the in my my history with the Warriors, Steve Kerr was a role player. I was a role player. Uh, Luke Walton, who was on our staff, obviously um, head coach of the Lakers. I think they're probably playing right now. Um, he was a role player. So we definitely understand the importance of the guys at the end of the bench and their value to the team success. Um, in, any, in, 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 in anything, you know, if you're alphas, if your best players are, your, are uh, humble, great workers, um, do things the right way, everybody else will follow. Having said that, if you have tremendous workers and guys who have bought into a role at the end of the bench, the whole team gets lifted because everybody understands the importance and value that they bring to the team and um, will inspire one another up and down the roster. So um, that was Steve, that was myself, that was Luke, our job to be ready when called upon, to be professional, um, understanding that it's a long season and over the course of 82, season, uh, 82 games in the season, you're gonna get your opportunity. And that's probably the toughest thing is to stay ready when you're not in the rotation. Um, if you guys saw our game last night, uh, Kevon Looney is at the end of our rotation right now, but uh, Houston goes small, Draymond gets hurt, he's got to play. And he was ready to go out there and play and give us some minutes. And that's one of the toughest things to do as a professional. Hmm. Um, okay, so moving on to life after playing in the NBA. Um, how did you find your calling as a coach and something you're really passionate about? Now it seems like your life calling, but how did you, how did you figure that out? Uh, so I, I knew that I wanted to stay involved in basketball when my, when my playing days were over. Um, as a former player, if you want to stay involved in basketball, you have three paths. Um, well, four if you're Michael Jordan. Um, the, uh, so you can be in the front office, you can be a coach, you can be a broadcaster, and if you have the uh, capabilities, you can be the owner, um, which is why I threw in Michael Jordan. Um, for myself, I was a scout with the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, I was a broadcaster for you know, many networks, and I got the opportunity to be a coach. Um, all by just doing things the right way, presenting myself um, and handling, taking care of my business, um, which goes back to a story I should probably tell you guys about how do you want to be remembered. Uh, so my, maybe my fifth year in the NBA, um, I was Carlos Boozer's backup and the Utah Jazz drafted a kid in the second round named Paul Millsap. And Paul Millsap started cutting into my playing time so I started getting a little salty about it. Now, looking, down the, looking back at it with perspective is everything. Coach made the right decision. Paul Millsap just signed a $90 million deal with the Denver Nuggets. He should have been playing ahead of me. But I, but I wasn't thinking that at the time. I was a competitor, I wanted to play. And um, I got started getting upset about it. And uh, Coach Sloan has this tradition. After each game, he would go around our locker room and shake everyone's hand. And after my third or fourth DMP CD, uh, what that means on the stat sheet, did not play coach's decision. Um, those aren't good and nobody likes those. Um, I was fed up, I was upset, I was as angry as it could be. I was not a good teammate. I was not a good person to be around at that time. Um, and I was very salty. So when coach started shaking everybody's hand at the other side of the locker room, I left immediately, went right into the shower. And I'm like, man, forget this. You know, I'm upset with coach and thinking about what was me. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm in the shower and suds are on me and everything. And all of a sudden, I hear, is everything okay? And Coach Sloan, <laughs> who has a very distinct voice, sounds like you know, a ranch hand, like he's a Midwestern guy. And 
I hear, is everything okay? And I look up and it's Jerry Sloan <laughs> while I'm in the shower and he's still got his suit on. <laughs> no, everything's not okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm naked, I'm in the shower, you're having this conversation with me. This could wait like two minutes. Like, and, and Coach Sloan, Hall of Fame coach, <clears throat> Hall of Fame player, he actually has his jersey retired for the Chicago Bulls. He was a former player. He, he got it. He understood where I was coming from as a competitor. And I appreciate that he went and got me at that moment. Granted, it probably could have waited five minutes. <laughs> but he went from a leadership standpoint, from a coach's standpoint, he saw a player that was letting go of the rope. We, we have the expression, you got to hold the rope, you know, when you're, when you're a part of a community, when you're part of a team. And he saw a player that was letting go of the rope, and he went and got me right then and there. He was going to nip it in the bud. Uh, and he, he, he said, is everything okay? I said, no. And he said, I'm just going to leave you with this. How do you want to be remembered? Can't play this game forever. How do you want to be remembered? And then he just walked away. And that's, that sat so deeply with me, and I'm like, oh, man, now I feel like a jerk. And I feel like, <laughs> you know, it just, it just gave me that perspective that I needed, that voice that I needed. Um, and from then on, you know, I just rededicated myself. I went, got out of the shower, went and had a half hour conversation with coach and just really rededicated myself to being the best teammate possible. And quite frankly, having that conversation extended my playing career because I became the solid veteran at the end of the bench that coach knew that he could depend on to mentor the young, the young bigs behind me. And it extended my career because Quite frankly, I went to Phoenix and got an opportunity to play with the Phoenix Suns, and my job was to mentor their young bigs as a player. So when you have players like David West, when you have solid veterans at the end of your bench who have been in the battles, um, who can help mentor along your young bigs and teach them what it is to be professional in this league, that can go a long way to solidifying your, your, your lineup and your, and your roster. Um, working with Robin Lopez, working with Channing Frye as young bigs in the league, that really helped me get the opportunity because guess what? The general manager of the, of the Phoenix Suns was Steve Kerr, who saw how good a job I did with the young bigs as mentoring those guys. And when it came time for him to, to put together his staff as someone he felt that could mentor young bigs in the NBA, he called me hmm. and thank God I said yes. So going time back into you know, coaching and how did I, you know, I knew I wanted to stay involved in basketball you take care of business the right way, you be professional about your job, <clears throat> things, the universe sort of seems to just work out. Mm. And when you get an opportunity, you gotta make the most of it. So that's yeah. just really my story. That's a really cool story. All right, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Um, so yeah, m moving on to the Warriors. Uh, we don't have any Warriors fans here, do we? Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Make it sorry, okay. Uh, so what's your, can you just talk a little bit about what your role is with the Warriors and what, what you do for them? Uh, sure. Um, so my job as um, assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors is to mentor our young bigs um, and, and our veteran bigs. So Zaza Pachulia, JaVale McGee, Jordan Bell, um, working with those guys on, in player development, um, making sure that they are doing the things necessary to be successful in a game. Um, doing scouts. Um, so we play New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans is one of my teams and just um, breaking down the film. So if we lose that game, you guys can blame me. So I'm sorry about that. But uh, making sure that we are prepared. Um, so breaking down film, breaking down game tape, uh, coming up with a game plan to defend those guys um, and other opponents as well. And then just doing in-game adjustments, whether it be offense or defense. Um, I, I tend towards to lean towards the defensive side of the basketball, um, being Ron Adams, who's probably one of the best def defensive minds in the game. Um, our defense has been in the top five um, the last three years uh, since we've come, come in as a staff. Um, but basically doing in-game adjustments as well. Um, so that's kind of my role and, and my responsibilities, my duty duties with the uh, Golden State Warriors. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I've always wanted, so, so in that role, I guess you're, you have to sometimes grab Kevin Durant or Steph Curry and like tell them what to do. And here's this guy who, I mean, making so much money, like they must have, I know they're good guys with big egos. I and mean, what's that dynamic like working with such like huge celebrity stars like that and almost in like 
kind of being their, their boss in some ways? Uh, you think of it more of a collaboration, really. Um, and quite frankly, you gotta give a, lot, a ton of credit to our players, all of our players, from Kevin Durant to Steph Curry to Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, you go down the list, we have solid, solid guys that um, understand the game, they're very humble, and they wanna get better, they wanna be coached. Um, so you can't think of Kevin Durant or Steph Curry as you know, the, the, the brand. You know, you're, you're thinking of whether it be uh, you know, teacher-student, um, coach-player relationship. This is a person that is very skilled and that I'm trying to do everything I can to help them be as successful as possible on the court. So um, when I communicate with all of our guys, it's, I see my role and my job in that is just to give them the information mm -hmm. and say, hey, you can do it this way. Um, and part of that is for, I don't know, you guys, a lot of you guys are younger, but some of you guys are, have children in here. Um, it's kind of like, like saying, um, how do you, we have, my wife and I, we have three children. What's the best way to approach each individual? You kind of learn that with kids. Um, one child needs, one, one person might need a hug. One person might need a stern voice. And when to give with that approach, that's kind of the learning process as a coach. Um, you know, when do, when do you give a hug? When do you give a stern voice? Those sort of things. Um, uh, and, and learning when to tap in uh, to, those, to those moments. Um, but all of our guys are so humble and they want to be coached, they want to get better. I just want to give them the information to, get, to allow them to be as successful as possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so talking about the Warriors <clears throat> as an organization yeah. and also as a team and then also individual players, what kind of goals do you guys set, you know, and then do the individual players set goals and over what sort of horizon are those goals? Well, and how does it work? It works. Um, we have organizational buy-in from ownership to front office to coaches, to players. You have four different entities. And the goal is to get this. It's really simple. <laughs> Our goal is to win a championship. So everybody understands that going in. Um, our ownership group, group is committed uh, to spending and allowing, um, obviously you guys know, the, those of you guys that are fans of the Warriors and follow our team, um, the financial commitments that our ownership group is um, willing to write some really steep checks um, for our guys. Um, the ownership, uh, sorry, the front office is committed to acquiring the best talent. Uh, we have really good coaches, really well experienced. Um, Steve Kerr, who's won many championships as a player, has played alongside Tim Duncan and Michael Jordan and you know, other superstars in his career. Um, and we have Ron Adams and Mike Brown who have been successful and Mike Brown's been coach of the year. So we have supreme, and then our, our, our player, it, all, it always comes back to the players. Our, our talent is supreme. So everybody in our organization understands going in, when you walk in, when Nick, uh, Nick Young, Swaggy P, walks into our organization, he understands what he's playing for. Simple, we're playing for championships. Everybody has to buy into that. So the goal is simple. Now, how you go, <laughs> how you go about achieving it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, you got to have values. Um, what, are your, what are your organizational values? Um, for us, for Steve Kerr, he was, very, he was really simple, and when he came in, it's about competitiveness. We're gonna compete. We're gonna get after. Um, every single time we're on the floor, it's about competing. Uh, being mindful, doing things with a purpose. Um, you know, you, when you throw the ball into the post, you don't just lollygag through the, through the uh, paint. We do things with a purpose. When the ball goes into the post, we do what's called split cuts, and they're really hard to defend on the perimeter, where if I'm Clay Thompson, I go screen Steph Curry's man, and then we make a read out of that. So everything is done with a purpose on the court. Um, sometimes we'll have, and that, and, that, and that can lend itself to um, understanding and having a good pulse on our team. We've taken our team bowling. We've taken our team to yoga classes. Um, I don't know, we've done other silly things. We've done, uh, or I would say silly, but things that will help stimulate guys on a different level other than just the daily grind of a basketball game. Um, another one of our core values, um, competitive not mindfulness, compassion. And this goes back into a big overarching theme about our team is sacrifice. 
and we have to have compassion for one another. Um, if you're Andre Godala and you've been an all-star, you've been a world champion, Olympic champion, um, when, I come, when Steve Kerr went to him and said, hey, I need you to come off the bench, that's a lot of sacrifice to ask Andre Godala to do that, but it's for the, the better of our team, the betterment of our team. Um, 12 guys on our team, on our current roster, have been starters in this league. Um, when we ask them, hey, we need you guys to accept your role, that some nights, some of you guys might not be playing. Some of you guys might not get the minutes that you're used to playing. It's all for this. We have to get organizational and team buy-in and sacrifice. And you, and you have to have compassion for your teammates. And that's, that's absolutely the key. And then uh, compassion, competitiveness, mindfulness, and joy. The last one. We're, we're, we're so lucky and so blessed to do what we do. Um, the, the running joke, we wear a tank, a lot of our, we wear a tank top for a living. You know, we wear a jersey for a living. <laughs> we get to play basketball. It's the thing that we've loved to do. Um, I hope that everybody in this room um, gets to do what they love. Um, sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but if you get to love and have a joy for playing basketball, playing hoops, um, for me to sit and, you know, I was asked in the back about a balance between family and work. I love what I do. So when I'm watching tape on teams, I'm, I'm stealing plays. I'm watching personnel breakdowns. I, I love it. I'm very fortunate. And you have to have that joy and passion in what you do. Mm -hmm. So I, what, how did Steve Kerr handle um, a couple years ago, you guys break the single season record for wins? Yeah. And to your point, like people, players made sacrifices for the ring, but you guys didn't get the ring. Um, and obviously, you know, looking back, come back, yeah. win the title. But how did, as a leader, one of the leaders of the organization, how did he handle that sort of adversity? So uh, I'll let you uh, give you a peek behind the curtain. So I'm reminded of a story. So um, we have every, every year we have a group dinner before the season starts. And it's all the players, uh, trainers, coaches, front office people, we're all in, the, in a room together. And Bob Myers stood up and spoke, and he talked about that specifically, where he was so impressed with the character of our guys. Um, because if you look, if you think back, we lost a game seven on our home floor, and we do these exit interviews. So it's Bob Myers in a room, no cameras, just with each individual player. They come in one at a time. And he was curious to see what words they would use. Um, would they say, hey, you know, it's, it's so easy to, you know, point a finger or point the thumb. You know, which one do you point? It was that guy's fault. It was that guy's fault. Um, a lot of the guys came, well, actually not a lot. All of the guys came in and from Steph Curry to Draymond Green to Andre Godala, they all put it on themselves. You know, I should have done this. I could have I done this better. I, if only I had done this. And that just really speaks, it's not about Steve or Bob, that's about the character and the individuals that we have on our team that's so special that they're not guys that blame other people. They're not blaming coaches, they're not blaming media, they're not blaming Adam Silver for whatever, uh, I'll talk <laughs> about it, but um, you know, they're not blaming other people for, for um, that loss. They put it on themselves, and which ties into, um, you use it for fuel. You use every slight, you use every, um, everything that's said against you um, as fuel mm -hmm. and it's, it's motivation to get better. Um, our guys, we have a, they have a group chat and if somebody says something in the media, if somebody says something on Twitter, they, they go looking for stuff. <laughs> so if, um, if there's anything that's out there that they can use as motivation or fuel, um, our guys are hungry and talented as, as, all, as all heck. But if anybody gives them that little extra motivation, a little extra, you know, somebody wrote a column, somebody said something on Twitter, whether it be a coach or a GM, some fan said this, they're using all that stuff and they put it in the group chat and they, get, they fire each other up. So um, again, it's not a lot, a lot about Steve and Bob, but a lot about the character of the guys that we have in our locker room. Oh, that's cool. Um, so talking about the players a little bit, What's the, what's the dynamic, like, what can you tell us about the dynamic between the players and, you know, specifically from, like, a leadership perspective? And um, last year, Kevin Durant, one of the best players in the NBA, came and joined a team yeah. that was already really good and had a lot, probably had some leaders on it, you know, Steph or 
Draymond, and how did that transition happen so smoothly? Well, a lot of it starts with Steph, and I don't just keep singing his praises, but he's the longest tenured player that we have um, with the Warriors, and a lot of it starts because he is the, the superstar, the alpha. Um, the foundation is set and the culture is set with him. And then also with, with Coach Kerr coming in, the type of environment that he fosters, um, our mantra, you need mantras um, as an organization, fast, loose, and disciplined. Hmm. Um, so we play fast, the way we play up and down the floor, we play loose. We like to you know, have fun out there, the, the way that we play our fans and people who truly appreciate basketball can understand how fun it is and you can see it out there, the joy that we bring. Um, the last part is discipline, uh, which we are working on. It's a work in progress. It's always a work in progress. Um, but uh, going back to Steph and Coach Kerr and the overall culture, it's organic, it's real, it's a brotherhood. Um, and for Kevin, he saw that in his meeting with us as a free agent. He wanted to be a part of that. Um, having said that, you do need strong vocal leaders. Um, so whether and, and, and experience as well. Um, our guys have been in the battles. Andre Godala, David West, Zaza Pachulia, solid veterans. You need guys. Um, do, they, do, do the vocal people need to be the best? performers? That's on a team-by-team -team basis. Um, it helps when they are, but sometimes not. Um, in our case, whether it be Zaza or David, as solid veterans who speak up and say things when, and hold everybody accountable, and probably the most vocal guy, um, surprise, surprise, Dr Draymond, is <laughs> probably the most vocal guy in our locker room. But you need somebody to bring that fire, that competitiveness, that edge that he plays with. Um, for him, it's, the, it's walking that balance of playing with that edge, but not going over. Um, and he, he's done that. Um, he's done a really good job of that. And, uh, and when he does go over the, over the line, um, he holds himself accountable as well, in addition to holding everybody else accountable. Um, which you need. Everybody, you know, we have to hold each other accountable. If somebody's not performing, um, closed mouth doesn't get fed. You know, if you're not going to fix the problem if you just keep your mouth shut. Um, and this doesn't mean that you have to have yelling, yelling matches with one another, but um, kind of like Coach Stone going to get me at that moment, when you see something, you have to say something. Um, and Draymond is someone who will always say something. <laughs> Um, I'm sure you've probably had other, you know, coaching offers maybe for, you know, head coaching or for more money and, and you stayed with the Warriors and why is that? I mean, what, what keeps you there? Uh, I've been very fortunate and very blessed, um, to be a member of the Golden State uh, Warriors coaching staff. Um, other opportunities have come around. But at the end of the day, what we have right now in the Bay is so special. It's such a special environment. The amount of winning, um, I mean, over the last three years, nobody, I mean, it's historic, the amount of success that we've had. Um, and I enjoyed learning from our players, being around great players, uh, learning from Kevin Durant. I'm learning from them just as much as they're learning from me. Um, their work ethic, Steph, Clay, Kevin, probably three of the greatest shooters on the planet, on planet Earth, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> and they're on the same team, and you get to see their work habits. Um, Kevin Durant, like even today, you know, you come in, um, it was a pretty late game, given the ring ceremony, and by the time we tipped off, it was like 8.15. Tough loss, emotional loss, you're physically, you're emotionally, you're mentally spent. Um, you know, you get to bed at one or two o'clock in the morning. Um, you come in today and we have a practice and all we did was just skill work, which just involves like shooting. And you should see Kevin, when he does things, there's no half speed with him. And he's such a great role model for our young players because he doesn't do things half speed. When he goes through a shooting exercise, he's doing it like he's being defended by LeBron James. Like he, he goes full speed so that he, so a lot of guys when they shoot shots, oh yeah, I'll just shoot this lazy kind of shot. 
But then in the game, they're so sped up that when they jump, they're jumping at a different level than they do when they're just messing around in the gym. But if you take game shots at game speed when you're practicing, it makes you that much better. And Kevin today, you know, as he is every day, when he does these drills, um, they may just seem routine. They're not routine to him. It's an opportunity to get better and work at his craft. Um, same for Steph, same for Clay. Um, they put the time into their, to their craft. Um, so it's really a pleasure to be around these guys. I'm learning from them. They're learning from me. And you talk about opportunities to leave. I mean, it goes back to who's got it better than us, you yeah. know, so I'm staying. Um, I'm very fortunate to do what I do. Um, down the road opportunities will hopefully be just that, down the road opportunities. But everything I do right now is to get us another one, another one of these rings. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, just uh, one more question for me and then I think we're gonna do some Q&A. So, um, Talking about the Warriors organization and building a winning culture, you have obviously the basketball part, and then you have all the other stuff that's going on in the world right now, you know, with politics, all this sort of stuff. And especially when you're dealing with people that are in the limelight, people care about, you know, what they have to say about these things. How, how do you think that a, a organization with such a great culture, a winning culture, like, what can we learn about the way that the Warriors have managed that? I think it really goes back to your um, values and um, who we are as an organization and who we have as individuals in our organization. Um, you mentioned it, our players have a huge platform. And players nowadays have to be socially conscious. They, they have to use their platform um, and give a voice to those who don't have a voice. And, and hopefully um, they use it in a responsible and productive way. And I think that our guys have done things um, way, I mean, so well, so well. Um, from Steph uh, to Kevin to Draymond um, to Clay. Granted, um, every once in a while, you know, they're young men, they have made some mistakes, but our guys um, have to take advantage of their platform and bring to light things that need to be addressed. And it just comes back to their values. And we as an organization allow them to use their voice, allow them, we don't um, limit them. Um, they have to use their voice, they have to use their platform. Um, do you put any, do, is there any sort of guardrails put on them? Like, okay, like, you know, you can say this, but tell us first, or, you know, or is it just like, it's really just say whatever you want? No, I, I think there, it's, it's organic, so there are some issues, um, and again, a lot of it is communication too. So our process is we talk through things. That's the way that Steve wants it. So um, as coaches, we all have a voice. As players, they have a voice. And we come to a conclusion, and we leave the room saying, okay, this is our game plan. So that, that works for when we're playing a team, to individual matchups, to the social issues that have come to light, whether it be an invitation or non-invitation <laughs> or whatever, um, to an invitation rescinded, I don't know how that kind of works out, um, to other um, social issues. Uh, JaVale McGee has a foundation called Jug Life where he raises awareness for um, drinking water in Flint, Michigan, where he was born and raised. Um, David West is very vocal on a multitude of issues. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you go up and down the list, our guys are very vocal about social issues. Um, you know, if there's something that's big, you know, we'll, we'll have a conversation about it. Um, so everybody understands, you know, where, where, where each person's coming from. Uh, so that we make decisions um, going forward. Um, but then a lot of, it's when I say it's organized, so some, some, some things just happen. You know, so, uh, our guys are interviewed all the time. They have a microphone in their face all the time. And they are socially conscious enough and responsible enough and mature enough to handle any question that is thrown at them. And uh, again, they do have a platform, they have a voice, and they have to use it. Mm -hmm. Great, okay. So, uh, 
So yeah, so I, should we do some Q&A? Okay, any, any questions? Yeah. I'm just gonna repeat the question after for. Um, I grew up in San Francisco. I've been a Warriors fan for a long time. We've seen some really bad years. And then now it's like, it's McMagic right now, right? And what I've noticed in the last maybe three or four years of the Warriors and their success is that, um, and when I play basketball and I coach basketball, like players get beat on defense. It happens all the time, yeah. right? Including for the Warriors, yeah. right? And so what I've noticed, there's a culture on the court where when a player gets beat and the other team scores, the Warriors don't sit around and, and they're like, oh, you take the ball out and they don't cry about it anymore. Yeah. And they just take the ball out. Yeah. And you guys just run down the court. Yeah. Um, where I've seen other teams, they're like, I got beat, they start pointing the finger at each other. Yeah. Like, how do you guys, how did you guys foster that culture of like no more crying after getting beat on a play or on, you know, after a game? Like, how do you foster that culture of like, let that go and then move forward and let's get let's get on with the next the next part. Uh, yeah. So the question is how how do the Warriors as a organization foster the culture of um, not putting their head down when they get beat but moving moving on? Yeah. We drill it. <laughs> um, so uh, we play fast. We want our tempo um, to be up. Uh, so make or miss. We, we push the basketball. So when we run what we call five-on-no drills, um, which, which is basically our scripted offense, uh, in our practice, even today, we do, we do five-on-no. We basically do five-on-no almost six days a week. Um, we drill it. So when the ball goes through the net, closest big, grab it, fire it up. And I can tell you from experience, and you guys have seen us play, that nothing's more defeating than when you do get beat, okay, we take the ball out of bounds, we outlet it, we throw it up the court and Clay or Kevin shoot a three, we play fast, and we hit it. And everybody's looking around like, whose man is that? And those type of situations. And those are the things that can really um, defeat your opponent um, when you score quickly. Um, so we drill it. Um, we are constantly yelling and drilling, even at the new guys. And it takes a little while for them to understand. Um, a lot of that comes back to um, uh, where Steve has been as a coach or as a player and incorporating little things into, from those specific offenses into our offense. So whether it be motion strong or motion weak from San Antonio, from Greg Popovich, playing fast and playing with tempo is uh, from his time under with working with D'Antoni in, in uh, Phoenix to triangle principles with Phil Jackson. All of that is incorporated into our offense. Um, all things being equal, uh, if you look at the game last night, I believe Houston had 17 more field goal attempts than we did. Um, our belief is that if we sh shoot the same amount of shots, if you're Houston and we're the Warriors, and we sh each get about 90%, 90 possessions per game, our players are so skilled that we're gonna make more baskets than you. But if we don't rebound the basketball, if we turn the ball over, now all of a sudden you're getting more possessions, more chances than we are. And those are the things that kind of even out the playing field. Um, so we play quickly, we wanna keep pushing. We play a lot of guys. We play 11, 10, 11, 12 guys sometimes so that we're constantly fresh. But we wanna keep playing with pace, keep pushing the basketball, take care of the basketball and and so that's how we that's how we play. That's our style of play, and we drill it. Yes. So the Warriors right now have a reputation as being the healthiest team in the NBA, and that comes um, as a, a whole health, where they're physically able, they're mentally um, strong, mm -hmm. and that psychologically they're strong. And so you're taking certain types of vitamins. They're doing uh, different types of holistic trainings and health and like and meditation, and this is something that's actually being spoken about by some of their lead basketball players. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is a trend in sports where we haven't really seen in the past. And and I think more it's like it's a mindfulness around the sport as being like a human being as being connected in kind of unity yeah. on the court. Where did that come from, and have you seen this before? And is it, do you think this has? Um, Develop, help develop a winning culture. So the question is, what is your body fat percentage? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I got it. About, <laughs> yes. 
No, so the question is um, about health, the growing influence of health in sports and, yeah. and specifically with the Warriors. Uh, a lot of it comes from Steve um, Kerr and a lot of it comes from our front office and learning new techniques and a willingness to adapt um, to whether you're talking about health and body um, and we actually incorporate technology as well. Um, so a lot of the, all the arenas have sports view cameras where they track data on how a guy's mileage, how many, how fast they're running. I mean, you can get everything you want from um, the, the metrics, from the numbers, and they track all of that stuff. We um, also, during practice, they wear catapults um, in the back, uh, which is basically wearable technology where we can track their impacts, their loading. Um, so we try to take advantage of every cutting edge technology or philosophy to have the best culture, best environment, and best player we can possibly have. Um, having said that, when you're fatigued, all of us know this, when you're fatigued, you tend to make mistakes, um, whether it be physical or mental mistakes. So anything we can do to get the guys in peak physical performance and peak physical shape, um, the harder they can play, the smarter they can play. Um, so that's what we are trying to achieve. Um, so all of the stuff, different techniques, um, our assistant GM, Kirk Lakeup, he's always taking meetings with people that might have a new technology out or a new philosophy, um, whether it be eating, nutritionists, um, cooks, uh, we try to provide um, holistic healing. Um, sometimes, I mean, and a lot of the stuff I don't even understand, but it, it, uh, I'll be walking by the training room. It's like, what's that smell? It smells like incense. <laughs> and there's a, uh, I don't even know, there's a technique, I believe it's Japanese, but they stick little things on people's sore areas and they light them on fire. And then there's like a smoke that comes from them. And it, I don't know, it's like, Andre Godala smells like incense on his little back. I don't know, but um, you know. So the, any type of thing that's out there to to have the best and give our guys, um, put them in the best possible position to be successful. Our organization is about that. Do you think other teams are doing the same stuff, or the Warriors? Kind of? I, I I think that times have definitely changed um, to where other teams are adapting new technologies and new philosophies. I can tell you when I was a player, we didn't have a chef in, with the Utah Jazz. Um, I know that almost every team, I'd, actually I'd be surprised now if every team didn't, but every team has a private chef that, or caters, you know, caters meals for their guys. For us, you know, after lunch, you know, McDonald's, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> you know, as a player, and, but not our guys. We, the, the organization is committed to giving them the best foods, to having a chef there to cook and prepare their meals. Um, we have a couple guys on our team that are vegans um, mm. and making sure that they're meeting with a nutritionist to make sure that they're taking the vitamins. I know a lot, all of our guys are on vitamins and supplements and just doing everything possible to be at peak performance. Because again, it always comes back to that. There's your personal life and there's the performance. Um, we care about both. A lot of fans only care about your performance, and you got to perform. How do you balance all this with being a dad to three young kids? How do you balance all this with being a dad to three young kids? Uh, honestly, horribly, um, unfortunately. Um, I thank my wife, my mother-in-law, my parents, because my wife and children live in Los Angeles. Um, so we have our house and the kids are in school there. Um, so when I'm up here during the basketball season, I get to see my family once every two weeks, maybe. Um, and that's a sacrifice that I make. Um, having said that, it does allow me to really focus in on, on basketball and what I love to do here. Um, but I don't necessarily have that balance uh, of being with my family. Um, Having said that, even if they were here, a lot, I mean, obviously players have their families. Who doesn't love Riley? I mean, everybody loves Riley. <laughs> um, but we are gone a lot. Um, we're on the road. We're getting ready to go on a road trip tomorrow morning. Um, you know, six, the, the regular season is six months. You know, half of that, three months, we're on the road in some city. And our, our, our stops are very quick. 
So that balance is very, very difficult. We have to have um, strong partners, um, and it's a sacrifice that we all make. Next bit. All right. <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Say it again. The significance of it. Of, what does it mean? It's for, good question. What's the significance of winning a championship ring? It's for the it's for the webcast. It, yeah, it's it's so special. Um, I, I I don't want to downplay it um, because I, I try not to get too high or too down. <laughs> um, but it's the ultimate high. Um, you're, you're the best. You're, for a moment in time, they can never take what you achieved away from you. Um, the sacrifice, the journey of an NBA season is so long. And the ups and downs and last year, there's always something. You've got to have a bit of luck um, in going through this journey. Uh, the preparation, the hours, the sacrifice I talked about, being away from our families, it, it validates it. Um, the sense of pride and community that you bring to not only the organization, but importantly to our families and our fans. The sense of community that you get watching going in during a parade, um, it's electric. Um, that sense of achievement is felt by all of Dub Nation, all of our fans. And um, it's just so special to be a part of that. Um, I don't know, I can't, and it's some of the stuff you just can't put in words, but it's, it's awesome. It is absolutely awesome. Can you talk about sportsmanship and how players prioritize that? Question is about sportsmanship and how the Warriors uh, yeah. prioritize that as a value. Yeah, I, I think it um, it goes back to compassion. One of our core values. We have four of them: for compassion. Um, I think sportsmanship plays into compassion for your teammate, um, respect. And to steal a phrase that Coach Kerr has stolen from Coach Popovich, who I'm sure has stolen from somebody else, it's appropriate fear um, of your opponent um, and what they're capable of, regardless of how talented we are. Um, in any industry, you have to have an appropriate fear um, of your opponent, of your competitor. Um, and sportsmanship, obviously doing things the right way, competing, um, not crossing a line. We don't, you know, um, willing to go up to the line, you know, if you got to set a hard screen on somebody, set a hard screen on them. If, if your opponent falls down, we don't offer a hand to get back up, you know, so there is a line. No, we're not going to step on them, you know, to keep them down. <laughs> but there are little things that, um, that, that are passed down from veteran, um, from a veteran to a rookie. Um, that's part of our culture as, as sportsmanship and competing and doing things the right way. Um, I can tell you a story from my experience. That brought a, a big smile to my face. Um, I remember my rookie year, um, a team or an opponent fell down, and I extended my hand to help him up. And Carl Malone he came over and slapped my hand away. I was like, "Damn, ouch!" <laughs> and he's like, "We don't do that." And I was like, "Okay, cool, all right." And so I learned right then. Fast forward to like, I don't know, in practice, the other, well, actually not even practice. It was uh, in a game in China and. Uh, Jordan was on the court with Draymond, and Jordan extended his hand, and Draymond hit Jordan's hand. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Like, <laughs> that was me once upon a time. Um, so there's little things like that where, you know, we're competing, and I'm, I'm, I'm out there to get after and, 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 you know, do everything I can. I'm not going to help you up sort of thing. It's a little thing, but that's, that's what we do. Um, uh, to just getting out there on the court and, and doing things the right way. Getting the right way. Really? Okay. Uh, the question is about how how much being a cultural fit is important versus just being talented for new hires. 
That's a really good question. Uh, probably a question best asked to Bob Myers, who actually uh, does that. But I can tell you um, from our experience or my experience with the Warriors, um, the person, the player has to be an organizational fit. So a lot of our um, front office people do their due diligence on free agents or um, trade guys who are coming in via trade to make sure that they can fit into our culture. Um, there have been a lot of questions prior to his arrival of someone like JaVale McGee, um, who had a bad reputation um, through no fault of his own, other than the perspective, their, um, people, how they perceived him, their perception. And perception, as everybody knows, isn't always reality. Um, JaVale is a great kid, great guy. Uh, he's a great father, great teammate. Um, he had a tendency in the past to do some questionable things that labeled him as a knucklehead or somebody who didn't do things the right way. That couldn't be further from the truth. Um, Swaggy P, Nick Young, um, a new addition to our team who came in with a little bit of reputation much in the same way. But we do our due diligence on guys, um, veterans that we have on our, in our locker room, small circles in any industry. I'm sure it's the same thing, like you know somebody who's probably worked with someone and who can tell you, hey, how was that person as a teammate? How was that person in the heat of battle? Um, for us, Luke Walton, Coach Swaggy P, and when we, when we as a coaching staff asked Luke, sang his praises. Uh, he said he's a great spirit, great guy, um, great competitor. So that's all we needed to hear. People that you trust, um, for Javel, Andre Godala was his teammate in Denver and sang his praises and just said he's com completely misunderstood. And those things were absolutely right about those individuals. Um, but you're right. You, I played with guys who were only concerned with their numbers. What I mean by that, they were only concerned how many points and rebounds they scored. And that's not going to fit with our culture because we, we have sacrifice. Um, our superstars, if they wanted to go to a different team, they could get 20 more shots a game. They could get more minutes. Those, those role players could get more minutes on other teams. But if a guy's not willing to sacrifice and only concerned with his numbers, not the, the team's overall success, that's not going to work. That's a, that's a no-go for Coach Kerr. Um, you got to have buy-in. So um, it's a really good question about um, players and their talent but it's gotta be an organizational fit as well, uh, and a cultural fit um, for those individuals coming into our, what we have. Um. Uh, I, think, I think that's it. Oh no, we got one more question. All right, one more, okay. Um, how hard is it to play with Jordan? Um, yes. What was the uh, core takeaway that Uh, the question is, any lessons from Coach Kerr that he got from playing with Michael Jordan? Uh, just some of the stories that Coach Kerr has shared, um, just how competitive um, um, Jordan, Michael is, or still is, was, still is. Uh, he wanted to beat you at flipping quarters. It didn't matter. Um, Michael Jordan from golf, I mean, we, all of us who have been sports fans understand this, but when you have Coach Kerr who's actually been in the battles with him, um, truly understand how competitive, get a feel for it. Um, even in his Hall of Fame speech, <laughs> he was still going at his junior high, high school coach who cut him, you know, like, like, he, like he is a ultra, ultra competitive person. And I can tell you that being around um, extremely talented people, um, playing with Carl Malone and John Stockton, playing for Coach Sloan, um, Hall of Famers. Okay, so there's, everybody in the NBA is really good. Like if you and I were just go play one-on-one, -on -one, I'd beat you. I, I know that, I'm very confident <laughs> in that. I was, I was pretty good. <laughs> I got a Hall of, Hall, of Fame, uh, Hall, of, Hall of Fame ring somewhere from Sanford. I don't know, I was pretty good. But you go from good to great, it's a fine line. You go from great to legend, it's another fine line. What separates it? Your drive, competitiveness, skill, talent, ability. Um, I've played with teammates who could touch the top of a backboard, couldn't remember a play to save their life. Um, so if you can't remember a play, you can't follow a game plan, you can't play. 
Um, so, but when you combine it all, when you combine the skill, when you combine the talent, when you combine the work ethic, the drive to be the best, Steph, Clay, KD, always working on their craft, always working on their, their dribble moves, their ball handling, their shooting. You got, you got legends, okay, in the making. Um, I'm not going to put them there yet, but they're, they're in the making. And I think that really that one thing that differentiated Michael Jordan was his competitive drive. When you add up the experience, the skill, the talent, it's pretty scary. Um, and there have been stories told. Uh, there was a great 30 for 30 with um, one of those ESPN documentaries on the Dream Team. And it was uh, Magic Johnson's, and when the Dream Team was scrimmaging, it was Magic Johnson and Larry Bird versus Michael Jordan and Scotty and a couple. And the, and it just basically turned into a game of Michael Jordan versus all those guys. And he just wanted to beat them. So it, it's, it's pretty scary. Um, but so I think that's the biggest thing. When you have supreme talent matched with supreme drive and competitiveness, it's pretty scary um, to, put, to go against that. And I've had the, the pleasure and opportunity to, to compete against Michael Jordan when I was a player. Um, when he was 40 years old, he gave us 40 points. Um, so. <laughs> It's one of those things when he was with the Washington Wizards towards the end of his career, so, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jaren. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Sue. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.